1: are listening to Radio Maria and it is time for Credo. And as usual on a Tuesday, we have Derek Williams, our lay evangelist, who has been speaking to us over a series of talks recently, the Sabbath rest. And today he's going to be talking to us about the Sabbath in exile. Derek, welcome. As always, it's really good to have you with us.
2: Be with you today. Nice to have your lovely smiley face there. <laughs> So shall I crack on with today's teaching, Aileen?
1: Please. And if you would would you introduce with a prayer for us? Do you normally do that, Derek, or is that if you would I like can to do that? Yeah, yeah, if you I would like, but prayer.
3: yeah.
2: Absolutely. So in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the the beauty of your word and your living word, which burns in our hearts like a fire, Lord Jesus. And I pray for myself. Aileen, for all the listeners, that as your word is proclaimed across the airways, that that fire will become an all-consuming fire, so that our love for you can completely dominate our lives, and our lives can be healed, restored, and renewed. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. So, good afternoon, listeners, and welcome. And yes, today we're looking at the Sabbath in the exile. Uh, if you've listened to the Covenant series and the Jubilee series, um you would know that the Sabbath has a very important place in the life of Israel, and this is God who has given the Jews the Sabbath, a day of rest, one day each week for them, the Sabbath Saturday for us who are Christians, it's the Sunday, the Lord's day. but with everything to do with God there is always a cautionary note because God knows our human nature. And so my Bible at the moment is open upon Leviticus chapter 26, specifically on verse 14. Verses 1 to 13 are blessings, what God will do. Verse 6, for example, if we obey God, I will give you peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. That's a promise. That's what happens if we keep God's commandments, which having a day a week of rest, is one of those commandments that we're invited to keep by God. And those commandments are important. They they cultivate our relationship with God, exteriorly and interiorly, if we obey those commandments. So this is very very important. The interior cultivation of a love of God is very very important. But as with all these things, God also gives us a warning. A warning, verse fourteen of chapter twenty-six: If you will not listen to me, and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinances, so that you will, um, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, I will do this to you. And he goes in. God goes into a series of. The consequences of breaking the commandments. We must bear this in mind. The reason why is because in our culture, in our society, Western society now, the commandments are broken all the time. And we are starting to see that we are seeing the fruit of these broken commandments. And we see one of our problems is we see that the fruit of the broken commandments is is a fact of life now. But what we don't see is, hold on a minute. The reason why this is happening to people is because they're breaking God's commandments. They're bringing this like a curse down upon themselves. Now, here's one of the things that happens with Israel. Okay, Verse 33. If they break the commandments, I will scatter you among the nations. And I will unsheath the sword after you. And your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. Now verse 34. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate, while you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest which it had not in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. So God, if if the people of Israel and do not obey the commandments if they turn to idolatry and if they do not have their rest if they do not let the land rest god eventually will actually exile them from the land now this is one of the worst possible things that can happen to israel because the land in which they live let's go to ancient israel the land in which they live is given on a promise to Abraham. So God promised Abraham, the great patriarch, I will give you this land. And God showed him the land and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Okay, so the land is a really key promise in respect to the covenant. It's worth bearing in mind that when God said that to Abraham, there was no talk of the Sabbath. The talk of the Sabbath didn't come into play until Israel were in the desert having escaped Egypt. So it's further down the road when the Sabbath comes into play. But the promise of the land is right there when that God is cutting covenant with Abraham. I will give you this land. One of the consequences of breaking the commandments, and probably the ultimate consequence, is I will exile you from the land. And God actually warns the Israelites about the exile, the chapter after God has spoken about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is when God rebalances. The Israelite culture, in order that everyone is debt free, everyone has their land restored to them, every, all the slaves are released, and people can have a rest. Immediately after that chapter, God then goes into uh, blessings and curses the blessings associated with uh, obeying the commandments and the curses associated with breaking the commandments. And the ultimate one is if you do not obey these commands that I give you, the first one of which is to worship God and God alone, then I will give the land a Sabbath. If you refuse to have your Sabbaths, the land will have its Sabbaths. Now, if they confess their iniquity when they're in exile, in verse 42, God says, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. Now notice, he's not saying, I will remember my people. He's saying, I'm going to remember the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will remember the land. But the land shall be left by them and enjoy its Sabbaths, while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurn my ordinances and they soul aboard my statutes. And as a people of God, we have to be careful where we're at, because we, th- we might think we can get away with not having a day of rest. But God has ordered our, if you like, our body and our soul to rest for a day a week. He's, he's placed that in, in our nature. It's in our nature to do that. And he has ordered creation for this rest. Hence, the land must have rest. The land isn't just required to have a rest once a week. The land is meant to have a rest every seventh year. And I live out here in, in the midst of farmland. Even the farmers know this. You know, secular farmers will leave a field to lie fallow every few years so that the land can be restored. So even the farmers know that dirt, dirt needs a rest. How much more do we need one? How much more do we need to take a break? But you see, the farmer can identify it. He can see the soil and he can see the quality of the soil and he can see what it should be like and what it is like we need to recognize the signs in us that we need a break and we need to see those signs before we have a breakdown we need to see those signs before the anxiety overwhelms us we need to see the signs before the physical signs of our body start to break down with stress related problems in our bones and in our muscles we need to notice the signs and we need to see the cure is not always a paracetamol, it's not always an anti inflammatory, it's not always a cream, it's often rest, just take the rest. Okay, just take the break. Now, I'm now moved turning around my Bible pages, and I'm going to uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, and Jeremiah is the one who was prophesying to the Israelites to prepare them for the exile okay so the israelites are about to lose remember that the temple is the center of israelite life the jerusalem temple so let me give you a bit of history on this as we go to towards jeremiah the israelites have invaded the land uh the land has been given to them they've each got their plot and then they take over jerusalem and they build so they have their king in place king david David wants to build a temple, but God says to him, no, because you've got the blood of the enemies on your hands. I want your son Solomon to build the temple. Now, notice God chooses the son born from adultery. Yeah, the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. So he he chooses him, the weak son, if you like. God always goes for the weak one or the outcast or whatever. So he chooses Solomon. Solomon builds the temple which is ready for business in 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. And um, the Jerusalem temple becomes the center of worship for the Israelites. It becomes the center of the law for the Israelites. It becomes the center of commerce for the Israelites. And Jews, if they're living in a different country, if they've gone to live, for example, in Greece or in North Africa or in Asia, If they can, they will try to pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year for Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. So they will make a pilgrim, um, a pilgrim, a pilgrimage. The (laughs) here I live at the centre of of a national shrine for the centre of pilgrimage, and I can't even remember the word. So they're they're going to pilgrimage three times a year. It's worth pondering how important Jerusalem is to the Israelites. Before the time of Christ, when they've been established as one of the most powerful nations on earth, in the in that moment in time, okay, they were one of the most powerful nations. Um, and let's just think about us Catholics here in England, or wherever you're hearing this from, but particularly in England, the center of finance is London. The the, the whole the square mile, okay. The center of government is Westminster. The center of of trade is within that square mile, but the center of our faith is in Rome, in the Vatican. So you have got several different places that we would turn to as a center for different things. With the Israelites, all of those places were Jerusalem. Center of trade, center of commerce, center of worship, center of government was all in Jerusalem. Tiny, tiny city, okay? why am i explaining this so much because of what's going to happen here um jeremiah 25 verse 3 the word of the lord has come to me this is jeremiah speaking to the king of judah okay speaking to the king the word of the lord has come to me i have spoken persistently to you but you have not listened you have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear so the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophet, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and wrongdoings and dwell upon the land which the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods. Okay, the breaking of the first commandment. Don't go after other gods to serve and worship them. Do we go after another god? There is a god called Mammon to do with finance do we chase finance above our relationship with god that's just me asking you a question listener this year is actually you meant to be ringing in asking me questions but today i'm going to challenge you what gods do we serve and worship ahead of our god god says do not go after the gods then i will do you no harm yet you have not listened to me says the lord that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, I'm going to send for all the tribes that are north and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servants. Notice that God calls a pagan king his servants. If you turn the clock back a few, a few years, King David was God's servants. King Solomon was God's servants now god is saying because king um uh let's see king josiah who is the current king of judah is rebellious and god doesn't call him his servant god is calling the pagan king nebuchadnezzar his servant because unwittingly he is going to do god's will okay um I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the nations round about. I will utterly destroy them. Listen to this, verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for a very interesting period of time. Okay, very interesting period of time. Seventy years. Now, listen, just just listen to what God is doing. God is going to actually lay waste the entire land. He's going to destroy Jerusalem. He's going to have all of the objects that are used in worship carried away to Babylon. Because the Israelites would not worship God and God alone. And they're going to stay in exile until the land has recovered its lost Sabbaths. Now, the 70 years that God was sending the land, the people into exile for, um, now, I, I read this in another document, and I hope I've got the numbers right, but they said that includes 490 Sabbaths, the 70 years, because there were 490 Sabbaths that had not been observed. So God... Was waiting for the Israelites to reach a certain point. So they think about think about it like this right. The Israelites are in the land, King David is king, followed by Solomon, then they start giving over to idolatry. So they'd say, okay, we we won't keep this Sabbath because you know we want to work and make some money. So they break one Sabbath and they think, hey, we got away with it. No one's died. We're okay. So they then break another Sabbath. Oh, we're doing all right. God doesn't notice that we've broken the other Sabbath. God is quick to forgive. His wrath is a mile away. God is quick and merciful and loving. He won't punish us because we've worked on a couple of Sundays or Saturdays as the case may be. And then they keep pushing the boat out and they start thinking, hold on a minute. If God's not punishing us for breaking the Sabbath, maybe he won't punish us if we have this little idol in the house. Maybe we'll get away with that as well. Maybe we'll get away with making a sacrifice on a high place to another God. What if we break the other commandments as well? What if we just do a little bit of adultery here or there or steal a little bit here and there? Maybe if we kill somebody by, you know, that that, we'll get away with it. And suddenly all this sinfulness comes in, all the commandments start to be broken. And all the way what's happening is God is permitting evil. Until it reaches a limit, God permits it until it reaches a limit. And the Israelites, if they had only paid attention, would have noticed in the book of Genesis, the very first covenant no, not the second one, the second one is after the covenant with Noah, the covenant with the patriarch Abraham. In the midst of the cutting of these covenants, God comes to Abraham and he tells Abraham that the land will be given to the Israelites when the sin of the Amorites has reached its full measure. So the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites who occupied the land, they were wiped out because their sin reached a certain limit. And when it reached that limit, they were wiped out. Those tribes were wiped out. Because one of the things they were doing is child sacrifice. Sacrificing children to their, in inverted commas, gods. Now, the Israelites, if only they had gone back to the Abrahamic covenant, and they would have listened to that every day. You know, the stories were narrated every day, or most days. If they'd listened, they would have seen that sin has a limit. I might get away with committing a sin here or there, but ultimately there is a limit. And if we don't make, if we don't repent, then we face the consequences when we hit the limit. And the limit for the Israelites was the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. Jerusalem, your center for worship, for commerce, for law, will be destroyed. Your center of worship. Okay, So think about it like this. The Israelites couldn't worship God, in a sense, unless they went to Jerusalem, because that's where they have to make their sacrifices. There is no sacrifice for sin if Jerusalem is destroyed. If they're exiled from Jerusalem, they have no sacrifice for sin. Let me put this one to you, folks. How do you get to confession on the lockdown? How do you get to the sacraments on the lockdown? Just think about it, because if we are not being obedient to God's commandments, eventually the price is going to be paid. And I know this is a bit of a sobering talk, but I've talked to you for weeks and weeks and weeks about the love and mercy of God. God calling us into a Sabbath rest. God calls into covenant. God calling us into this celebratory, loving relationship. But eventually there has to be a message which says if we do not respond, there is a consequence. Now, on that really happy, joyful, jolly note, I'm going to pass you all back to the delightful Aileen, who's got a big smile in the studio, who's going to play some beautiful music for you.
1: <laughs> I wasn't smiling when I was listening, I have to say. <laughs> um, but the, the music we have is Hosea, come back to me. And that's your choice. I hope your first choice, Derek, for this afternoon. That was Hosea. Come back to me, and you are listening to Credo. We are hearing about the Sabbath and the exile of the Jews. And I'm going to hand you back to Derek now. Derek, you're back on air.
2: Thank you very much, Aileen. I just want to talk to you folks about the prophet Jeremiah very briefly. And then we're going to go on to look a little bit more at the exile and the Sabbath. So, if you go in, in Jeremiah chapter one, Jeremiah's call. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the room, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this is unique about Jeremiah. You see, many of the prophets were prophets to Israel. They were there to um, call the king and the Israelites back to the obedience to the covenant. But Jeremiah is slightly different. He is appointed a prophet to the nations. In verse 9, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, to plant. How is Jeremiah going to do that? He's going to do it through the power of God's word. And in the, I think it's in the letter to the Romans where Paul writes, the power the word of god is the power of god unto salvation so the word of god is the most is incredibly powerful infinitely powerful and god is saying god is placing his words into jeremiah's mouth jeremiah speaks that word it doesn't go back until it's completed its purpose okay that's very important to remember because if i go to jeremiah um Let's just do, first of all, Jeremiah 25, verse 15. After um, God has warned the Israelites about what's going to happen with them, he then warns the nations. He then says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword which i am sending among them so i took the cup from the lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the lord sent me drink it jerusalem the cities of judah its kings and princes to make them a desolation and a waste a hissing and a curse as at this day pharaoh King of Egypt, skip a few, all the kingdoms of Uz, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Edom, Moab, the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, on and on and on. And and says verse 28, if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. That doesn't sound like God, does it? that's his god this is god who's saying you have got to the threshold you've got to the limit and the purpose of drinking from the cup of god's wrath is that god chastises in order to bring us back to mercy that's what god wants his mercy is infinite his justice is terrible but his mercy is infinite that's what padre pio used to say god's justice is terrible but his mercy is infinite. Now, let's take a brief look at one example of where God's justice is absolutely needed in our world today. One area. And I could just say abortion. You know, the the hundreds of millions of abortions that have been committed. I read a statistic when we were in lockdown when I was on the internet one day, and it said that in the October when COVID Had just started to spread in China at the same time. At the same time, folks, it was estimated that global abortions had passed 1 billion since abortion was first legalized in Russia in the 1920s. That's no coincidence. It was almost like we had reached a limit, and the COVID virus was kicking off at the same time as we reached that limit, and we had a lockdown. Um, now, when you if you just draw a parallel with what happened in the land of Canaan when the Israelites were invading, what were they doing? They were sacrificing their firstborn babies to a demon god. And they had reached a limit, and they were completely wiped out by the Israelites coming in. Israel was adopting those practices. <laughs> As well as not keeping the Sabbath, they were adopting those practices. So what does God do? He wipes them out, takes them out to Babylon, completely clears the land, destroys the center of worship, completely wipes out Jerusalem. And and then he takes Siloam. And don't forget, he then goes for the nations, Egypt, Philistine, Philistia, um, Tyre, Sidon, the other nations, he starts going for them. Because um, St. Peter begins, St. Peter writes in his letter, Um, the purification begins with the house of god okay so the church is purified first when the purification is finished with the church then it spreads out across the nations and it spreads out quickly so let me just go now to a little bit of good news (laughs) yay while we've got some listeners left (laughs) so this is jeremiah 29 this is a mere couple of chapters later. Okay. these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So a letter written by the prophet. And they're probably thinking, no, no, no more, Jeremiah. Mercy. But the letter says this in verse 10. Okay. thus says the Lord. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. Oh, I've got to just bring something in here. I've just been reminded of something. Oh, praise Jesus. Something I've been reminded of. Our queen died last year after 70 years on the throne. So an era has come to an end. An era. okay. A 70-year period has come to an end. Think about that. What is God going to restore to us? Well, I can tell you this. There are centuries of saints prophesying that England is going to be Catholic. And I, when I did the Diary Tour of Our Lady of Walsingham a few years ago, at every event, I would talk about England becoming Catholic again because God had prophesied, God had spoken to us through all these prophets over the centuries, and more and more lately, that England would be Catholic. So the 70 years, have been completed So what will god do it says this here we go thus says the lord in 70 years i complete for babylon i will visit you i will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place this place of worship For i know the plans i have for you says the lord plans for welfare not for evil To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. And come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me. And find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Think about that song we just played. Come back to me with all your heart. And this beautiful sentence. I will be found by you says the lord and i will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where i've driven you says the lord and i will bring you back to the place from which i sent you into exile what is the place that god is going to bring us back to well the cure of ours in the 19th century um spoke to bishop allothorn of birmingham and said do you not know god is going to restore your ancient splendor the ancient splendor of england is that we were we were the jewel in the crown of european catholicism from around the 7th century to the 10th century england england was the isle of the saints we were called the isle of the saints because there were so many saints in this nation england was dedicated Two, in those days, it was called St. Mary and St. Peter, Our Lady and St. Peter. Now, here's the thing. When the bishops of England went to visit Pope Leo XIII in 1897, the Pope wrote them a letter. And he said in the letter, consecrate yourselves to Our Lady and St. Peter, just like your early fathers did. Now, a couple of years ago, we consecrated the nation as a dowry of Mary. Every bishop in England, and I know this because I was at every single consecration, I, was, I helped to organize the tour. Every bishop of England consecrated his cathedral, his diocese to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and as the dowry of Mary. Just before lockdown, every single bishop. Including Cardinal Nichols. Okay, so that was all done. Now we must expect the fruit of that to come out. And we must expect God to restore our ancient splendor. And what is that ancient splendor? It is that we are to become the land of saints. And I'm going to encourage you, listeners, to kind of make this prayer your own. God says, when you seek me, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart i will be found by you now god wants us to find him in a way that we've never found him before he wants us to find the burning bush he wants us to find the fire on mount sinai he wants us to find the the the, the fire that jesus came to cast upon the earth the fire of pentecost but he gives it a new name now god calls it a new and perpetual pentecost he wants us to find This new and perpetual Pentecost. Every one of us. And all we need to do is seek him with all of our hearts. That's what God is calling us to. Okay. Now we know the consequence of turning away from God. Now we know the consequence of turning back to God. Okay. Now. I'm going to watch my timing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand you back to the happy Aileen, who is looking a bit more, (laughs) less nervous now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that got a little bit easier, Derek. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have your next piece of music, which is Come and Rest. And this is by Mission House.
4: We'll come and rest. We'll come in rest in the love of God. will come and
1: rest. We'll come and rest. In We've got to that time in our Credo program where you can call in if you would like. I know Derek would really love to hear from you. If, like me, you don't know a lot about the Old Testament, please don't be concerned about that. Uh, Derek is our expert, so we we can ring and we can ask whatever we like about what we've heard this afternoon, or indeed just share your own experiences. You are listening to Radio Maria. This is our Credo program, and I'm delighted that we have a caller, Adrian. And Adrian, I have Derek back on air. Uh, what what would you like to ask us?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so thank you. Hi there. It's a question about... Um, I was reading through... I've been doing this Bible in a year thing, and I was reading um, the book of Numbers. Uh, I, think, I can't remember what chapter it is, 12 or something, where it talks about... Um, well this chap is um effectively what well, he died. he's effectively um put to death after breaking the sabbath uh, uh in his case picking up sticks uh, and to be honest I, I find it quite hard and challenging to read because i know i do a lot more on the Sabbath than pick up sticks so um uh i i just i i don't know how how should we what how should we
1: Read and interpret. Uh, Adrian, you know, I was thinking myself. How do we practice the Sabbath? Um, I'm just going to check that Derek can hear me. Derek, can you hear me? Okay.
2: I can hear you loud and clear. I Couldn't hear Adrian. It A- was yeah. On and off, on and off. Yeah.
1: So, Adrian, what I'm going to do is just repeat what you've said in yeah, in summarised form. So, do tell me if I'm I'm not right. Um, but Adrian was saying he'd been lit- reading the Book of Numbers, and in the Book of Numbers, um, that somebody breaks the Sabbath by picking up sticks. And Adrian was saying, in my Sabbath, I do more. You know, what, what what does that mean? And how do I practice the Sabbath? Is that okay, Adrian?
3: Yeah, uh, effectively. I mean, I think we all do more than pick up sticks. So that was the the idea. No
2: problem. Um. So can Adrian? Sorry, can Adrian hear me? All right. Uh, yeah, I can hear you. All. He can hear. Clear. Okay. So this is in Numbers chapter fifteen. Um. And God has told the Israelites that they are not allowed to kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. It's a day of complete rest. And it says that while they're in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day to to make a fire. So the man is breaking a direct Sabbath rule. And God doesn't, Moses doesn't doesn't just stone him to death automatically. They seek the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses, he will be put to death. The, the consequence of that is the men then have to wear tassels. And once again, the mercy of God kicks in because a thousand years later, we long Jesus wearing tassels and people are healed through the prayer tassels that God used to exercise judgment as a few centuries before. Now, so what, what should we be doing on the Sabbath day? What can we do? Well, this is the approach many people take when I spoke to them over the years. We talk about a day of rest and then immediately people are saying, what can I do? really what we should be asking ourselves is what shouldn't we be doing we should be resting the focus needs to be getting to a place of rest a recuperation stage so go to mass pray the rosary and um, chill out don't, don't think of activity think of inactivity think of letting the body recover um you know my, my wife and i will often go for a walk on a sunday um, we would have quality time together. We will minister to our marriage. Um, when the children were young, we were all together, the whole family. And we would do things together as a family. So we'd minister to the family. We'd watch a movie. We'd relax together, have fun. So we would de-stress, recreate the family life. Um, so those are the sort of things that we need to be thinking of. How can I cultivate an attitude of rest a day a week?
1: How does that sound, Adrian? I know Derek won't be able to hear, but we can hear you on the radio and, and I can tra- translate.
2: Yeah, that sounds great.
3: That sounds really helpful. It's helpful. I think it's really helpful to, as you say, to think of rather than what shouldn't I do, what what can I do, you know? Yeah. That, in that sense. But yeah, thank you for that.
1: That's helpful. Thanks very much for your call, Adrian. God bless you.
3: God bless. Bye-bye now.
1: Goodbye. Um, Just to let you know, Derek, uh, Adrian found that very helpful, that thinking about what can I do? And I think that changes the whole mindset, doesn't it? Um, It does. I've got quite a a few questions, (laughs) especially around (laughs) the destruction bit that you were talking about. And I, I thought it was really interesting when you said that there is a limit that is reached and then that's when God will come in and step in. And there were two aspects of reaching that limit that made me um, wonder and the first thing I wondered was does God come in and destroy because in fact if we were to carry on it would get worse and worse and in fact the consequences for us would be worse if God didn't. Now there I'm thinking like an I studied eth- ethics back in the past and that's one of the ways we can think about how things are right or wrong so that God is doing something but he's He's knowing that actually, if he doesn't do it, things will be worse for us in the end. Um, But then the other bit, the other thing that struck me was how people end up punished who haven't actually done the wrong, you know, that generational ancestral line. And I wondered if you could comment on that, too.
2: No, no difficult questions then, eh? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. Yeah, briefly, um, briefly don't because I can see we have another caller that we'll go to, so you can be brief with those <laughs> if you can.
2: Okay. Well, first of all, um so first of all, the, the, the limit on sin. Yes, God has to limit sin so that things don't get worse. So let's take a look at World War One, for example. Um, you know, the limiter could have been that war. And C. S. Lewis wrote about this in one of his books. Sorry, you've got the caller coming through. Do you want to take the caller first before? No, carry on. All right. Um. So in one of his books, C.S. Lewis talks about war. I think it's in the Screw Tape Letters. And the demons, the, the first demon is like, oh, great, we started a war. But then his boss says, no, 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 this is disastrous. So many souls will be saved. You see, so whenever God brings in chastisements, God's primary purposes are often salvation. He wants to save souls. So if we're floating off down this route of occult practices and sinfulness, and we're heading towards eternal hell and well have you, God intervenes. You know, and in fact, if you go back to World War I, what happens three quarters of the way through? Our Lady appears at Fatima. And one of the greatest miracles in the modern world, the miracle of the sun takes place. So God's intervention is incredibly powerful. And Our Lady speaks into the world the war will soon come to an end. But if mankind doesn't change their ways, a worse one will begin. Because once again, sin reaches a maximum. OK? Yeah, thank that's you. the question to wonder. Yeah. Are we going to go to the caller now? Let's
1: go to the caller. Yeah. So we have Lynette on the line. Lynette, you're on air. We're hoping, I'm hoping now we've had some technical support here. You may be able to hear Derek. Let us know. Lynette, go ahead. Thank you. OK, Derek, can you hear me? He can hear yes, us. Okay, loud and clear. How good, you, I can hear thing. you.
4: Good. Lovely. Um, my question, it's a slightly different tack, if that's all right. Um, I, the question I've got is to do with um, the use of the word dowry to describe England as Mary's dowry. So, mm-hmm. A, the word dowry is not used commonly in English culture. It's very archaic. And... Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, dowries go on. The use of dowry as um, kind of wedding gifts, exchanges, I think still goes on in other parts of the world and other cultures, but it's, it's not common currency here. And I've heard in liturgies, um, England described as Mary's dowry, and you've used the phrase again today. And I, I wanted to understand where this, idea comes from is it going back to the early periods of the you know last um millennium or when's it from a little bit of okay, background
2: so, please good good question thank you for asking that yes the the traditional english word diary goes way back you could say it goes back to king edmund of east anglia in the ninth century so it's a long long way back who in the Wilton Dictic is said to us, handed his sceptre to Mary and said, This is your diary, O oh, Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, but the most concrete evidence we have is King Rich King John the Third, or King Richard the can't remember now, the name way back in the 14th century, who knelt down in uh I think it was in Westminster and gave England as a diary to Mary. And it was already known as a diary of Mary at that point in time, though. So it wasn't doing it the first time. Now, the idea back then wasn't as a wedding gift as such. The dowry was the part of the husband's estate that would be left to his wife should she become widowed. So it was to it was to help the woman rather than something that would be given to the husband to to pay off the husband, if you like, as some may say. So it was actually a portion of his estate reserved for the woman on the event of his death. And Ooh. there is a slight beautiful narrative. I'm just going to go on for another minute. A slight beautiful narrative, a Derek theory, because I live near the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham, And as we know, the land was owned by Richeldis, um, where the original shrine was. And it's known that Richeldis was a widow. And I often think, was Our Lady's shrine built on the Diary of Richeldis within the Diary of Mary?
4: I need to to go and look up some more, I think. (laughs) But that's fine. You've started to fill in a little bit of the trail for me. Thank you.
2: You're very welcome.
4: (laughs) OK. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Aileen.
1: It's lovely to hear from you, Lynette. Thanks for calling in um derek we have I'm just looking at our time. We have seven minutes left together. um Would you like to say some more, and then I know we have some music to play that I think it would be nice to, sure. to for you to pray over as you did last week. i believe
2: sure. let's very briefly look at Ezra chapter one um because we know that in Jeremiah God calling cartoon God was what will happen. Well, this is Ezra chapter one. Um, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So he makes a proclamation throughout his land that this is 70 years of exile has happened. And Cyrus, king of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. So the exile is coming to an end. God has used a pagan king to release the people from Israel, from, from exile in Babylon, for one purpose only, to rebuild the temple. Okay, now I'm just going to apply this to our current life, current way of life here in England. We now have King Charles in place. And some people say, oh, he's not very Christian. Others will say, oh, he is kind of Christian. Personally, I thought the coronation ceremony was astonishingly and beautifully Christian. And there was even a relic of the true cross in that cathedral. He's anointed with oil from the Holy Land. I thought it was sensational. And well, even so, you know, the fact that God can actually use King Charles to restore his church in this nation hey, we don't have to have a perfect king or queen god can do that he did it with cyrus a pagan king god spoke to cyrus and cyrus sent the capture captives home now bear this in mind the purpose of the restoration was not so that the israelites could build their houses and plant their gardens it was to rebuild god's house we must not use the graces of God for our selfish purpose. God wants his kingdom to be built first and foremost. OK, now we have one final song and a little bit of prayer time as we conclude the um the, the afternoon's teaching. So what, what's our final song, Aileen? The
1: final song is, let me just get that up. So <laughs> here we go. It is, um oh, it's Come and Rest, The Mission song is that right we just
2: did that yeah we, we just did, did that yeah, one yeah let
1: me just check
2: <laughs> okay no problem but while you're checking i'm gonna start praying ah, for our listeners um, you do, know, do
1: you know what we have derek we have two links for the same song which is what i'm working with oh Could okay I put,
2: so it's my mistake
1: um shall we what would what shall we do should we go with that or would you like me to go for the Hosea hymn I'll oh, go with
2: that one go with, with the, the common rest. rest yeah okay. we'll stick with that one my yeah. mistake sorry about that
1: and then I'm thinking, Derek, I, we might say goodbye and thank you. And I'm not sending you off, by the way. I'm just thinking that we'll finish with prayer. Um, but before, so we, that will be the end of our program. But I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of us who are listening to you on radio, Maria. Um, thank you so much for giving your time week by week and introducing to, for many of us, aspects of the new, Te- the Old Testament that we, we're not so familiar with, um, and opening our eyes and the hearts. Um, and particularly in this series to the Sabbath and and what it can mean in our lives
2: You're welcome, thank you Aileen You're welcome and it's lovely to be on there with you all So if you hit the play button and then I'll start to pray with that in the background Yeah, thank you So listeners, what I'm going to encourage you to do is as I do every week, just go inward for a moment One of the things with the Sabbath, a mistake we can make, is to want to apply laws and rules and regulations. But ultimately, this is about the life of grace and God wants us to, wants to immerse us into His grace. And you can hear that beautiful song now. If you're trying to move the mountain, you know, what do you do? Stop fighting. If you've been struggling, just rest. Stop struggling against stuff. And hear, hear what God says to you. God says, come and rest. Yeah? That's what God is saying to you. Come and rest a while. That's what God is speaking to your heart. Just respond to that. Respond to the call to come and rest and say to God, I need Rest. Physical, spiritual, emotional, I need rest. Do you need a Do you need a oh, so we thank our Mother Mary for taking us by the hand. And I'm going to lay a challenge to you, listeners, while this song is playing. Just a little challenge for you. Are you prepared? To invite Our Lady into your heart and to give her complete freedom to do with you whatever she wants to do. She will give you profound rest. Lady of Walsingham, pray for her. Amen i yeah,
0: This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website radiomariaengland.uk for more details and a full schedule of programs. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programs like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.